Kings of the Podcast, episode 112, 112. It's, uh, 12 is my favorite number, so that's a, it's a pretty good thing going on there. DB, uh, how are you doing, Dennis Bernstein? I think we both had substantially long weekends, Jay. Sometimes uh, real life gets in the way of hockey, but I think it was both enjoyable for us. I'm doing great and ready to do this episode with you. Yes, yeah, so uh, I believe you were in Las Vegas attending the heavyweight title fight while I was uh, in some sort of a fight of my own. Well, not literally. <laughs> I was not in a fight, but... Uh, when you go to a music festival for three days, DB, it's uh, oh. it's it's a, it's I don't know if it's a fight. It's a fight with your body just to uh, right to endure uh, what's going on. You know, there's just so many bands and so much walking and hydration and uh, yeah. I have some things I want to get to uh, to tell you about uh, about traveling specifically. But first off, let's welcome everybody in. We have a lot to get to today. We're going to be talking about the LA Kings roster decisions. We'll save that probably for the third period. Uh, a couple guys were sent down. Uh, or put on waivers and then subsequently sent down. Uh, you have some players who are going on IR. We can give you some updates there. Uh, what the forward lines are looking like, those are a bit in flux as well coming out of the game on Saturday and uh, due to these injuries and whatnot. So we'll see what's going on with that. Roster talk in the third period. In the second period, sort of working backwards, we have Kelly Cheeseman, who's been on the program a number of times, COO of AEG Sports. I always get the title wrong, so he can correct me if I, if I got it wrong again. But uh, Cheese will stop in and uh, talk about these jerseys. We figured it was a timely guest. And I also want to say congratulations, or not th- congratulations, but uh, thank you to Kelly Cheeseman for still agreeing to come on because, uh, once again, Mayor's Manor did break the, the news about the jerseys, and one of these days it's going to upset him, and he, he will have stopped coming on. But uh, he was nice enough to come on the program. Uh, DB, you know, records uh, records are important. We talk about context being important on this show, but records are also important. Mayor's Manor continues to break the news on the jerseys, DB, going back right. all the way like over 10 years now. Absolutely. This is another one. It's, it's a good-looking jersey, so we'll talk about that. But before we get to all that, Dennis, uh, the, the name of the studio, I know that uh, a lot of our listeners, they, they're, they're hanging on. They want to know. It's one of their favorite segments on the program. Today, we are coming to you from beautiful Southern California, of course, and this is the Tim Tukey studio. And uh, if you're not familiar with Tim Tukey, there is a tie-in here, DB, because this is not a name that most LA Kings fans will know. However, it ties in perfectly to today's program because with this new jersey that the Kings uh, are coming out with, it is a throwback to the new look that they debuted for the 88-89 series. Of course, they wore the foreign blue and gold uh, for the first little while there as a franchise. And then in 1988, they made a hard right. They went to the silver, black, and white, and they debuted it at that big press conference there with Gretzky as well. Uh, and so this guy... Tim Dukey was on the LA Kings in 88-89. He's a fifth-round draft pick from the Washington Capitals, so he's not really known for being uh, an LA King. And he bounced around a little bit. He broke in with the Caps, then he played in Quebec. He played for Pittsburgh. And, of course, he had a two-game stop in Philadelphia because you can't talk former Kings without talking former Flyers. 
So this guy, Tim, he played 20 games that year, including opening night in that jersey. The following season, uh, he played seven games and then basically was an AHL player after that. So a total of 106 NHL games played. But uh, for my money, none more memorable than game one, 1988, Gretzky's debut as an L.A. King. I believe they played the Detroit Red Wings, if I remember correctly. Uh, and he scored a goal. So there you go. Now, now I'm wondering, I think it's, uh, if memory serves me correctly, it's November 17th, sometime mid-November, the Kings will debut this New Jersey. Uh, they'll playing the Washington Capitals, which is also exciting because I want to know what the Caps are going to be wearing that sure. night because, you know, they have to wear color if the Kings are wearing white. So right. do the Caps have something special planned or not? But uh, will it be some random person just scoring a goal for the L.A. Kings uh, that particular night, or will it be one of the more well-known players? We'll get to that in November, Dennis, lots of time. Uh, to get to that. But back to where I was going is that um, when I'm traveling now, I, I'm like, I'm, I don't know if you do the same thing. I take sort of like mental notes of things that I might want to talk to you about or either on or off the air. And one of them was making me laugh today. You and I both, you know, we, we enjoy the finer things, not to sound all bougie, but uh, mm -hmm. I was getting, I was thinking about first class when you fly now, because if you're going on a short distance, you know, you're not getting you're not getting a lot. You're not getting, uh, uh, you know, food and beverage and all kinds of great stuff on, you know, on a little short flight. First class has basically come down to the armrest, Dennis. That's all it really <laughs> yeah. is. You get, you get a better armrest exactly. because if you, yeah, because if you think about it, if you fly coach now, the armrest is about one inch wide and you share it with your neighbor. <laughs> I mean, the armrest is virtually non-existent at this point if right. you fly coach. So it's come down to. If you want a better armrest now, you need to fly first class. That's really what you're getting, <laughs> unless it's, you know, a five or six hour longer flight. First or business class is worth it. But uh, just for the armrest alone, I think first class might be worth it. The, the only way to get around that if you're flying southwest, and I have a southwest story in a second based on what's happened the last couple of days, is um, there's a two-seat on the exit row sometimes where it's just a two-seater and then there's a space where the exit row is. So if you're, uh -huh. if you're flying okay. with Julie, I'm flying with PJ – like there's a rush to get those two seats. So that way, if you're going to share it, you're sharing it with someone, you know, and your, your wife. Okay. All right. But the, the exit row seat doesn't recline, right? Um, I think that one doesn't, I think the three across does. Yeah. So it's a trade. Okay. Cause yeah, the non, the non reclining seats always kind of irritate me. I want to, <laughs> I want to lean back a little bit. I want to get my Just sleep on, right? I want to throw on some tunes, put the headphones on and <laughs> I want to take a little nap and hopefully nobody snaps a picture while I'm drooling on myself. Uh, that's always the, 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 the fear that I live with when flying on a plane is that, you know, you fall asleep with your mouth open and like you're drooling or something. And, uh, you know, when you were younger, your friends would write on you with a magic marker. But oh, now yeah. you just worry about people snapping a photo of you. Oh. And the next thing you know, it's uh, it's on it's it's, it's on Twitter or whatever. Uh, yeah. Traveling, traveling these days is uh, whew, it's not fun, Dennis. But man, the trips themselves make for memories. How, how was how was Vegas? Uh, mm -hmm. Was it the same as I remember it just a couple weeks ago? Is it still is it still dirty? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was actually. Uh... We stayed at Park MGM and we got upgraded because we booked through American Express. And there's, I didn't know this, John, but at the top of the Park MGM, which was the Monte Carlo, that is now a boutique hotel, like what the uh, Four Seasons what? did with Mandalay Bay. Yeah, it's called Nomad, N-O-M-A-D. Right. So it's like four, five uh, uh, floors and there are suites and stuff like that. So we got that opportunity. So we stayed there, walked across the... Uh, uh, street to the arena. So an epic fight, John. Like that fight, it, it goes down in the annals of heavyweight championship history. That was just two warriors going at it. Five knockdowns. Just a fantastic 
fight. But that's where the story starts, John, because on Sunday morning, Uh I woke up to find (laughs) that my flight on Southwest was canceled along with a thousand other flights. So we needed to get back to L.A. Impossible to book. The only flight I could find one way back to L.A. would be Monday morning on American Airlines, (laughs) $1,500 a person. So, we, oh fortunately, John, we were okay. staying. We were staying with my son-in-law in Centennial Hills, which is just north of Summerlin. So basically, at eight a.m., we hopped in his Denali, and I drove his Denali across from from Vegas. So now I have okay. his Denali. So what that what does that mean? Yeah, that, that means I'm driving. You have back, to get it back to him. Yeah, tomorrow, so I can attend the Vegas Seattle Kraken opening night. So that's what I'm doing. Oh well, then it all worked out. Then kind of, it's not as a bad deal. The and then you have, and then you have to hopefully, well, you have to have a flight back. So yeah, is well, Southwest yeah. or somebody going to get you back? Well, screw Southwest. I'm not booking. Covered. Right yeah, I'm, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm flying like United at like um, 10:45 in the morning on Wednesday to get me back here at 11:45. So um, Southwest is on. Okay. So so that's yeah. So that's it. So drive drive back to L.A. Drive back to Vegas and then fly back. Unfortunately, the rooms are cheap, the flights cheap, so it's only maybe 150 bucks yeah. of airfare and room to uh, to attend. So I made you know something positive out of a really negative experience. Well, don't forget the gas and the Denali because that's about six hundred dollars. That's true, yeah, John. Because exactly. those things get like what like, <laughs> like five miles to the gallon. So. Stop at every gas station on the way. To you Vegas. might, yeah, you might have been better off with the fifteen hundred dollar one way ticket. Exactly. Um, so, you know, it's funny that you mentioned those things getting your flights getting canceled on Southwest, because when I was flying back this uh, today from Sacramento, somebody said, uh, oh, I, what airline? And I go, oh, American. And they go, oh, good thing yeah. you're on Southwest. They canceled right. a bunch of flights. And I, I said, why? And they go, oh, I don't know. And I said, oh, well, that's interesting. OK. But then, ironically, when I got to the airport, because uh, my app was not showing what gate the plane was leaving out of, you know, normally sure. it, you yeah. know, it's notif- notifies you in advance. So I get there, and after I go to security check, by the way, do you have clear yet? Clear yeah. is awesome. You go right Clear's to the front amazing. of the line. It's better it than for, pre-check. Yeah, I've had yeah. I've been had it for three years. Yeah, it is. It's it's a must-have. Oh, okay. I, yeah, yeah. I've been on TSA pre-check, but when my TSA pre-check, uh, I think it's good for five years. When it expired, yeah. I ended up getting the clear. Yeah, and this was the first time that I had to use it. And, oh my gosh! You just go right to the front yeah, of the line. It's it's, uh, it's great. It's anyway, because, John, um, because the TSA pre-lines uh, are getting longer and longer. That's the uh, yeah, they are. They really yeah. are. They really are. I mean, first world problems. I understand people. I, I get it. I, please save your nasty tweets. But okay. any, any, anyway, the, the real quickly, and then we'll move on. People want to hear about hockey, but uh, I get to the, I, just to finish the thought, I get to the airport. I look up at the board after I go through, um, after I went through the security thing, I look at the board to see what gate. And it said that the American flight at 1018 this morning was canceled. And I said, canceled? That's weird because on my app, it says that it's on time and it's like, whatever, boarding in an hour and 11 minutes or whatever it was. So that's weird. Um, okay, well, what what uh, other gates are there? Okay, it must be down in this area. And so then I end up going down to gate and, and A5. I found it. And the no, they had the wrong flight number. So for whatever oh. reason, I think that this flight must have been booked under an original flight number. And so sure. they, they must have rebooked it as a different number but the board wasn't updated so it was saying the flight was canceled when it wasn't so that 10 minute walk to gate a5 though you know i i was already thinking oh here we go you know this is going to be an ordeal i'm going to be at the airport all day because i don't think the the next flight was like until five o'clock tonight that's the problem with the podcast and right 
It's hard enough writing an article, Dennis, at the airport saying that we're breaking news on mayorsmanor.com with new jerseys and stuff. And now you want to have to have me do the podcast from the Sacramento airport, too. Uh, it was going to be it was going to be fun. It was going to be fun. Sure. So anyway, uh, fun, fun times there. So, but DB, so a month ago on Mayor's Manor, uh, we we had some news that the Kings were going to be looking to do a new jersey this year, a new alternate jersey. We did a couple mock ups. Big shout out to our longtime artist, uh, Justin Cox. He did a phenomenal job, mm-hmm. knocked it out of the park, gave you four different options to look at. People have had a, a month or so to noodle on that. And then um, this morning, DB broke the news, ha- was able to get my hands on some files, and uh, it's out there now. People know what the jersey is going to look like. It is a it is a return. It's a throwback. It's whatever you want to call it, uh, but it's bringing back the look from the late 80s, early 90s. What do you think? What, 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 what were your thoughts when you first saw the jersey? I love. I mean, I love that look. So I thought it was great. I think it pays homage to it. A little bit of updating with respect to the silver in it, but I think it was. I think it looks great. It looks. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looked great on Ayafala. What do you think? I think it looks great too. Uh, when I first started hearing about it, and it was like, okay, uh, you know, they were saying they were going to wear the white gloves or the, the Kings. I was hearing they were going to use the white gloves again, and I was like, okay, that's interesting. You know, I remember them from before. And you know what's even more weird about that DB? For some reason. I was thinking that they wore the white gloves at the outdoor game, the the uh, the one in San Jose. Remember when they wore the, so so not the Dodger Stadium game, but the one right. in San Jose when they had the jersey, it was like half gray and Wait, then half right. white. For some reason, yeah. I, like, and I remember people calling that the Stormtrooper outfit or whatever, and maybe they wore white pants that game, but they didn't wear. Uh, they did. I thought they, they were wearing. Pants. Yeah. yeah I, but I thought they wore white gloves too, and so um, when I was writing the article, I, I, I it, my first draft of it, I said they wore those white gloves twice before, which they really didn't. They um, they wore them at the outdoor game, which fe- dude, it feels so long ago when I was writing that. That's the twenty twenty <laughs> outdoor game, Dennis. Like, know, it John. was in twenty twenty at the Air yeah. Force Academy. Yeah, it it it, fe- it honestly feels like three or five years ago. I mean, it feels so long ago just because of the whole Amen. pandemic thing. But that yeah. was right before the, the pandemic ended, right? Or started, because that was in February, February. Uh, late February. Yeah. And, and I actually had to, like, do a double take when I had to write February of 2020. I said, wait a minute. It has to be longer than February yeah. of 2020. Yeah. But, um, so, yeah, the white gloves, I was, I was intrigued by that. And then the chrome helmets, which um, I wasn't sure how it was going to look, only because... The chrome helmets, I thought, looked great in uh, Colorado at the outdoor game. And then, if you remember, and we even talked about it on the show here, there was some talk that they were going to wear the the chrome helmets with the silver jerseys, the previous right. alternate jerseys. And then I had later reported that they had decided to move against that, and they weren't doing that anymore. So uh, I had kind of just forgotten about, if you will, the chrome helmets. I didn't think that they would, they would have uh, a way of coming back, or at least not for quite some time, right? Because... Even if you did another outdoor game, you're not going to go back to the chrome helmets right away. That would just, sure. you know, you, you wouldn't do that. So to be able to work it into this alternate jersey kit is pretty exciting and pretty phenomenal. And uh, I would agree with you. The trim on it really was a nice update to it. And I'm very, very intrigued. You know, I'm a detail guy. I'm intrigued by the bigger logo. I want to know what that's going to look like, yeah. you know, in person. Sure. Because if you remember when Seattle, speaking of the Kraken, you're talking about going to the game. Uh, when the Kraken had their jersey debut, the first thing I noticed, and it wasn't just me, everybody did, but wow, that logo is massive. It's really right. huge. It looks it looks nice, though, right? So I want to know in person how large that logo is and how mm-hmm. it's going to play with the new jersey. But uh, 
overall, the response has been phenomenal, DB. Everybody, everybody uh, it just they've been going nuts. They're ready to buy these jerseys, and I guess they don't even go on sale until November. Right, exactly. I'm sure that they're going to have great advanced sales. But, you know, yeah, I think they did a great treatment of it with respect to homaging, paying homage to, you know, that era, but doing some cool updates. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting. I know they're uh, it's about what twelve or fifteen games. I think I think the release came out later today that had the the other additional games on there. One of them is against the Ducks. Uh, one of them is against Vegas. I know they're wearing it against Toronto, and um, there are you know, obviously a few uh, several other teams that they're wearing it against. I what I'm going to probably have to do at some point, DB, is do some sort of a cross reference to right. the other teams that wear like third jerseys and stuff, specialty sure. jerseys. And will there be any, you know, specialty jersey versus alternate jersey or alternate versus alternate type thing? Because remember, last year during reverse retro, the Kings wore their reverse retro against the Minnesota Wild in their reverse retros. Right. So right. it'll be pretty cool if the Kings, you know, especially if you think about some of those teams that they have had uh, matchup, classic matchups against, you know, in the old Smythe division right, to exactly. wear this jersey now against something really cool. And then also want to take a look at the uh, the home versus the road games. That'll be cool. Uh, but, DB, how about uh, how about we give a quick shout-out also, though, to the Purple and Gold Warriors. They just, uh, man, they're, they're a very small vocal minority, and I'm not picking on them. I'm just, you know, just commenting mm-hmm. on this, that uh, <laughs> anytime the Kings do anything, they, they want to tweet about, you know, why can't the Kings wear purple and gold or foreign blue and gold <laughs> or, or whatever. And I just always sort of chuckle, and I'm like, I don't understand why this is such an issue. The Kings changed their colors, Dennis, in 1988. So right. just think about that. In 1988, for more, for more than half of the, the the existence of the franchise, the colors have been black, silver, and white. And right. so, like, I think about the Lakers. I like, I don't know this. Are Laker fans? Is there like a subset of Laker fans that clamor for the Lakers to go back to powder blue? It, it, I'm honest. That's a real no. question. Is that a thing? No. I've it's never not, heard okay, it. so that's they don't. Okay. Maybe because they All won right. well, seventeen I, championships with you know gold, that that has probably something to do with it. Right? Okay, and and you know what's funny is I thought about that as a likely explanation to why the answer would be no, but then it leads me right back to where to like home plate, if you will, it leads me right back to square one on this and say, okay, but the Kings won two Stanley Cups in yeah. the current jersey, right. so what what's the rush to get them back to? To purple and gold. I, I think this is fantastic. I think they've come up with a, a really nice alternate jersey. And if at some point in the future, if this, and I'm not saying it is everybody, but if this was to somehow mm-hmm. work its way into becoming the new home and road jersey, you'd need a black version of it, obviously. But if that sure. became the new Kings look, and then maybe that opens the door for there to be a purple jersey or a jersey with purple uh as a <laughs> as an alternate jersey you know i think that would be great um is the last some people are like you know they want to know why the reverse retro jersey wasn't made into a uh an alternate jersey but that wasn't an option because that's part of the reverse retro program that was a right right announced as a one and done thing uh, right sure. there will be mm-hmm. reverse retro 2.0 which we've talked about before but um yeah i don't know it's interesting it's very interesting. I will say this, and this is the last thing. It looks a lot better than the Dodgers all-blue jersey, Dennis. You know I'm not oh, a fan boy. of those blue pants. City Connect, John? You don't like but, City Connect? Come on. <laughs> look, I'm all about the Azul, uh, but that yes. is a, a little bit too much for me. No, I don't. I, I'm not a fan of the 
I'm not, I'm not a fan of the blue pants. So uh, the Kings, the Kings did a great job. Hey, enough of us. Uh, let's let's continue this talk. We will bring in on the other side of the break Kelly Cheeseman. He's been on the program a number of times. And usually, uh, we can get one or two good stories or scoops out of him. Let's see what uh, Cheese has to go uh, to say on the other side of the break. We'll be back in just a second. I never opened myself this way. Life is ours. We live it our way. Welcome back, Kings of the Podcast, second period. We are joined now. I think that actually this guy might be setting the record. We're going to have to get a hold of Hammer from Violent Gentlemen and see what the, where the standings are. But I think you're pulling into at least a tie with Hammer as the most frequent guest on Kings of the Podcast. I'm talking about Kelly Cheeseman, CEO of AEG Sports. COO, damn, I screw it up every time, Cheese. I'm so sorry. Yeah, that's all right. You can promote me, Johnny. That's fine. <laughs> All right. Well, it doesn't come with the pay raise, yeah. though. So sorry. You're, you're, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. I, I can never, I can never outdo Hammer. So you got to get him on this week. Yeah. We, well, funny story. Uh, actually, I was just texting with him the other day because we had originally slotted to have him on after the Kings Ducks preseason game last week at Honda Center. Uh, but I think he was still just kind of feeling the effects of celebrating his birthday. I mean, he's straight edge, so he wasn't hung over, but uh, he might have partied too hard at Disneyland. So um, we're going to have to get Hammer on. But hey, we're not here to talk about Hammer or Violent Gentlemen. We're here to talk about the L.A. Kings. This is an exciting week. It's been it's weird because it's been the shortest summer in NHL history from end date to start date. But it feels like in a lot of ways the longest summer just because we've all been away from staples center and you know lots of people um how are you feeling right now just sort of you know this is it this is opening week yeah it's i, I think the preseason game the first preseason game uh and the the games we had you know against the ducks and 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 phoenix like are, are real testament to like we're here like it was it really was that that first phoenix game and it just wasn't a big crowd but it felt massive compared to an yeah. empty building that we were all in last year. So, and people had a blast, you know, the, it, the, the team's playing great. We're excited. It's, it, it's, you know, my staff is full and ready to go. It's been a long, it's been a long haul guys, but um, it's, we're super excited to be back to a full building. Gee, so the, the organization, there were changes made with respect to the on ice product, right? It spent uh, almost all its cap space on Deneau, on Edler, and on Arvidsson. So just the feeling around your office and the organization about uh, the coming season. Yeah, DB, it's it's a great question. So, I mean, this is the year that, that Rob and the, the staff had really expected to turn the corner and start moving from, you know, making changes to open up cap space and to create room for the young roster to, you know, getting back to competing. So, um, you know, I think it was well noted, the veterans – um, you know, Kopi and, and, and Drew were really pushing the fact that they want to compete again. And, and it, Rob had already been talking to them about, like, that's his expectations, too, as well. So going into this going into this offseason, that was a big, big moment to 
to to make those um, changes to the roster and start providing some uh, some juice to get us back to a, a team that can compete for the playoffs. So the difficult question is, um, I asked Rob about that. Is there a mandate from ownership um, to make the playoffs this season at the end of last? And he said, there's a mandate from us. We want to make the playoffs. But, but what's the organization feeling? Is this not make or break, cheese? but is this like – do you have to make the playoffs to this be a, a successful season, or can there be still progression? Maybe you missed by a few points. What, what's the feeling overall? Do you think? Yeah, that's it's a great question. It, it, it's Rob answered the question best. It's our mandate. It always was this year okay. that we had um, that we had the target to compete again. Uh, it was with it was within our multi-year plan that we laid out for ownership a few years ago. I mean, it was no secret that when we started taking those steps that, you know, the the, the kitchen was pretty mm-hmm. empty on the prospect side of things. And we needed to take that first step uh, towards what Rob laid out in that first, you know, um, you know, meeting with, with the GM, with the season ticket members. It was a relentless pursuit of talent right. that year and, you know, going for college free agents and and starting to really make sure that we draft the first and second round and maintain those draft picks that was that was the intent but that took a little bit of time um so you know but we always targeted that that was a bit like a three to four year sure. process to get to this moment where we want to compete we we know we're in los angeles right. like this you can't do this forever um and we also invested into drew and and, and um Kopi for a long period of time you don't do that with the intent that um you know, you're not going to give them an opportunity to comp- opportunity to compete again in, in their career. So just talking about that timeline, it, it does tie back to GM Rob Blake and his contract as well. And some people like to say that this rebuild has been going on for five years, when in fact that isn't the truth. December of 18, the team sort of made the decision to turn the page and go full rebuild or recreate whatever we want to, whatever word we want to use. So we are approaching the three-year mark uh, here in a couple of months. It's a difficult question, but I think it's a worthy one, and that is that when you when you look at Blake and his contract is coming due at the end of the summer or at the end of the season, it's really a little premature in my mind to start talking about a contract extension because I think everybody needs to see how this how this season plays out, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I don't think Rob's worried about that. I don't think we're worried about that. We're worried about you know winning and competing and getting our team better this year and making a step to compete for the playoff spot. All that stuff works itself out. It works itself out for Rob, myself, Luke, and anybody else. Um, we have great faith from our ownership group, um, and they're bought into the plan. If they weren't, weren't bought into the plan, they wouldn't have let us do the plan, and we would have tried to, you know, continue to, you know, kind of build on the fly or something like that. That was never that was never the case here. And what's most exciting is now, what are we three years straight of having that top-rated prospect pool in the league? And you know, I've I've heard you guys you know, jaw about it now for a month straight on, you know, on a weekly basis about the, the all the guys that won't make the roster. And I, I think it was two weeks ago, I heard you guys talking about the, it was like 12 or 15 guys that probably won't make the roster. Mm-hmm. I mean, you hear that list, like that's pretty damn exciting when you hear that list. Um, and then you table it with who's actually on the roster now. It's starting to get exciting again. How do you balance internally the, the marketing efforts, right? Because you, you, you have to, it's a delicate balance because you don't, I would assume you don't want to put pedal to the metal on, on Byfield or Turcotte or any of these kids, because you, you want to 
you want to promote them, right? Because the fans are so eager. The fans love Kopi and Brownie and, you know, the core four, as they call it. But the fans are also really chomping at the bit, salivating to attach themselves to these younger players. Uh, but you have to be kind of careful, right? Because the more you do it, the more pressure that goes onto those onto those kids. And for the ones that start the year in the American League, will be spending time down there. It's confusing almost to the casual fan. The hardcore fan base is a smaller percentage of the larger fan base, right? The hardcores get it, but to the masses, how do you balance that to to market, uh, you know, the new kids slowly, if you will? Yeah, I, I mean, first of all, and and the masses and the general fan base, and and you know that you'd call it the more casual fans in, in Los Angeles. Like we're lucky that we still have Anze Kopitar, Drew Doughty, you know, Jonathan Quick and Dustin Brown, a part of this roster. Like they're still, they're legends. Mm-hmm. So to have that, a lot of teams have been killed to have those types of names on their roster to market. So we're lucky that we have that. Uh, with that said, you know, Drew and Kopi are dying to not go to the media tour next year, and they'd love for, for you know, for Quentin or somebody else to, to, to break through and have that opportunity to go to the media um, tour next year. And I, I think we've we've got that commitment made for them. So we got we to gotta deliver on, um, you know, bringing some of these kids up. But they kind of, on many ways, guys, these, these young kids, they, they promote themselves now too. I mean, follow Alex Turcott on, on Instagram. Like, he's out there and active. I mean, um, you know, AI, Alex follow is awesome in promoting himself. And that's what I think you're going to see with this next generation. Like, we will promote them, and they will lean into what we're doing. But, you know, you, you watch these kids and what they're doing in, in the world that really helps us help sell and promote them they they do it on themselves and we just have to we just have to elevate it for them i mean you watch what akil's doing right now the kid's special and i know how much you guys love him uh when he comes up you know he's gonna but he's he's competitive and we know how much the coaches love him too so it's it's gonna be awesome to see this 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 group and come geez, in. i'm glad you brought that up because that's the positive aspect of social media but there's so much negativity with social media I'm not saying the Robin Leonard stuff was negative, but it, it just, you know, I, if I was the organization, I'd say, all right, you're not going to use Twitter for the rest of the season because this is obviously a distraction. So so how do you regulate it or monitor it so it's a, a positive tool for the organization to promote the team and the players? Yeah, I mean, each, each player is his own mind. Um, they – we educate them on the aspect of what can and can't happen – but we also give them a lot of the tools of how they can be successful. Sure. As do their agents and their managers now. We're not the only ones. In the past, you would have probably seen this more fully left to the team right. or the league. We don't really need to do that as much anymore. Um, you're right, TB. There's a lot of negativity on, on social media, but there's a lot of really positive and fun stuff there too. And I think we we got to lean sure. into that. Um, a lot of, a lot of times when things come towards the players, they come and ask us for help great. Uh, as well, which is great. And that's it's really having a two, two-way dialogue with the players. Um, but I think, too, you know, have, allowing the players to speak their mind and, and not sheltering them or, you know, pushing that away that they can't do that anymore, that's the evolution of all of us. We need to we all need to evolve and let, let that happen uh, for all of us to get healthier. Well, speaking of evolution... Let's get to the jerseys. Uh, big announcement today. Uh, we On Mayor's Manor, we had teased it earlier in the summer that the, the fourth jersey was going away. Um, 
or, well, the third jersey, I guess we should say, was going away, which was the silver jersey. I'm calling it the Staples Silver or the Silver Staples jersey just because people <laughs> like to call it the Forum Blue. Although Jim Fox took me to task a couple of weeks ago for using the term Forum Blue, so I don't know if I'll stick with Silver Staples. But anyway, the point is the uh, the Silver jersey, which had come out around the 50th anniversary and been been the third jersey for the past couple of years, has been... I'm using the phrase temporarily retired because I don't think anything goes away forever at this point. Temporarily retired. But some exciting news relative to the new jersey. Talk about leaning into something. Uh, you're leaning into that 90s uh, Kings look that was quite popular, you know, once upon a time. Yeah, it's 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 we're really excited about this jersey. And I think it's a testament to um the voice of our fans and the voice of our players of how popular that look was from the nineties era and that it's the, one of their favorite jerseys, the fan, fans and the players. So um, bringing this one and bringing it out today and combining it with what was an incredibly popular Chrome silver helmet that we, we debuted at the uh, stadium series game, um, you know, back in 2020, right? Feels like forever yes. ago. <laughs> yes, I think yeah. that's when it was. But incredibly popular helmet and putting those things together, I think we got a we got an overall jersey package and uniform package that is really going to hit, you know, the zeitgeist of uh, of uh, you know, pop culture and, and you know, help us bring back a, an overall look and feel that was incredibly popular. Um, back in the 90s. All right, so we have to ask a couple of follow-up questions related to this jersey launch and debut. First of all, inventory. It's probably yes, been the thing that I'm chain. assuming has kept you up oh. at night. Be <laughs> yes, because supply chain, supply chain yes. and, and the whole reverse retro thing was a nightmare for everybody. Yeah. Um, where are you at with the supply chain? Is everybody going to have to, you know, is this going to be like the old concert ticker, ticket days? Do we need people lining up at 3 in the morning outside of Staples Center <laughs> to buy this jersey before it sells out? Or what's what's the story here? <laughs> <laughs> the global supply chain, I can't tell you how many times I've had that conversation in the last year or so on everything related to jerseys and merchandise. No, I, I, we're good. I mean, Adidas, first of all, they, they broke their backs just to get these jerseys to us in November. Um, I mean, I, I'll tell you a lot of their products and a lot of the suppliers' products are, are months and months behind. I mean, even Grange getting the making sure that he had the, the sticks and helmets and, and gloves for the year. Um, he's still behind there. So um, it's been it's been crazy, but we're, we're in good shape. And the good news with this versus the reverse retro is this jersey's not going away. So right. even if we do sell out for a temporary period, there'll be more coming um, and more, more you know, in the, the overall supply chain of jerseys. So I think it's going to be incredibly popular, and we maybe might – sell out of some various sizes here and there, but, you know, fans shouldn't worry. They'll, they'll be coming back. I, you know, it's not like the reverse retro. Um, Probably selling out of some of the larger sizes first, Chiefs, because a lot of us have put on the uh, the quarantine 15, <laughs> as, as I'm sure you're aware of. So, uh, yeah, yeah, smaller sizes might be pl plentiful at this point. But <laughs> let's talk about just the process a little bit because – you know, uh, not all of the information that we get on Mayor's Manor uh, or even that we discuss on Kings of the Podcast ends up being true. But there's a lot of it that, you know, was in process. We had talked uh, or I had mentioned before about the chrome helmets possibly being used with the silver jerseys. And from what I information I gathered was that you guys kind of tested that a little bit. It just didn't work out. So what, what can you tell us about that overall process? You know, this is fascinating when you peel the curtain back and, you know, go into the development side of this jersey. It's more than just debuting the jersey today 
Yeah, so there's a lot of things that go into this. I think you, you talk about that a lot. Uh, I hear when you guys talk about jerseys and all that. Um, we had hoped to bring back the chrome with the silver jersey, and we camera tested it at Staples Center right, right after we got back from the uh, from the Stadium Series game. It just didn't work. I mean, with all due respect to Vegas, I think they ran into that same problem where they when they tried to put a chrome helmet that copied our chrome. Oh, it didn't. Oh, may, did they? Co- I think they did. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Then they copied our chrome helmet. They did both. They, they did, they did the chrome helmet for Henderson, and then they did the gold helmet. So they've just copied everything. But we don't have to talk about that. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, but I think they ran into that with the with the gold helmet with the gold jersey it doesn't work Mm -hmm. um you have to you have to make sure you get the right look and feel to go with those things um and we were like look we got to pause this we knew we wanted to get back to the chrome helmets we got those helmets specially painted in germany um by our um one of the jersey one of the the helmet um painters that does it for our team in germany uh for the outdoor game it wasn't a permit thing then um so once we said, hey, we're going to go to the chrome helmet, we had to work with, you know, Warrior and Bauer and CCM um, with Grange to be like, we're committing this to this for the long term. And what's super cool is now down chain, you'll see that um, chrome helmet have the ability to get into youth hockey as well, which is where it was really popular. You know, people, uh, youth hockey fans asking, like, how can we get chrome helmets? So we'd like to get it on the Junior Kings and Lions and get that jersey into that mix because it's I mean you guys know how popular that look yeah. look is and not just our Kings fan world but in, in Los Angeles and I think that's it's gonna have a big impact. So the jersey itself, um I, I guess the elephant in the room is how nervous were you to change that original jersey, right? Because you're taking one of the most iconic jerseys in LA Kings history. And there, there've been a lot of jerseys, obviously, but one of the yep. most iconic jerseys and you're going to update it. You're going to freshen it up. You're going to make it, you know, 2021. Were, were you nervous? Was there a little trepidation in doing that? Were you excited? Where, where were the emotions or the thoughts? I don't know if I was nervous, but I think excited. Jeez, I mean, wait a minute. We... Come on. You're telling me that you weren't nervous for that first tweet to go out for that first picture for that. You weren't nervous at all. I think I've got, I've become somewhat numb to that. That's an iron stomach right there. (laughs) That is an iron stomach. Don't read, don't read Twitter comments. I'll tell you that. It's uh... a, I don't, I don't read Twitter. (laughs) Don't look at your mentions. Sometimes don't look at your mentions. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the thing. Go, go from 88 to 90. It was 88 to 95. I think is when we changed or 96. No, 97 was, when, I think, when we changed that jersey. It was, like, right before we came into Staples. Yeah, the year before. Look at how many times that jersey changed. You know, the, the stripes were different. The numbers were different. Like, it changed mm-hmm. almost annually. Um, so, for us, what was most important was the colors, the look and feel. We wanted to have a proper silver. Uh, we've never had – silver's a difficult material to actually execute. Um, in particular on an athletic material. So getting a proper silver striping in there um, and giving it a new refreshed look. Um, But the numbers are, you know, the triple layer numbers that we had back in the 90s, which I think had a really particular pop to Mm -hmm. them. 
And then ultimately the crest, the crest is what's most sure. important there. That's what really people are, are drawn to. So it's a little bit bigger. It's got a proper silver shimmer. I think the, the Adidas has said we have the most uh, expensive crest in the league. It's got a lot of layers to it. Um, so I think people are really going to like it overall. And I think in a lot of ways, um, it, it looks fairly similar to all the, to, to that to those jerseys, but just with a refreshed look of 2021, which I think is what it needed. All right. So one final question related to the jerseys. We'll let you run. We always appreciate you jumping on, stopping by, talking Kings hockey, opening nights coming up in a couple of days. Everyone's excited. Everyone's pumped. But people are going to be asking, what's the long-term play here? Is Does this jersey eventually become the regular jersey? <laughs> and I guess there would be a follow-up to that in terms of, is there a, another jersey coming behind it where there would be the you know the black one instead of just the white one and that sort of thing? And then you also have reverse retro 2.0 sort of out there. So can you give us a future glimpse? And don't give us a generic, I don't know, it's season by season. Come on, like, <laughs> lay it out there for us. Let's go, Cheese. Come on. Uh, that's going down the Hoven rabbit hole of jersey talk. <laughs> that's, right. that's, a, that's, that's, that's a deep rabbit hole. <laughs> um, I, look. It, I am going to give you a generic answer. Okay. It, it is it is a starting point to this being a permanent reintroduction of this mark. That's what I can commit to. We're very excited to bring this mark back, and we think it it's playing well with our primary LA crest. Um, we've made a couple of enhancements to the pri- primary jerseys as well. You'll see that silver shimmer um, coming in on the black and the white jerseys. I've seen. Early in preseason, I've seen a few fans going, "What's different about the jerseys?" It's it's it's. If you saw the old black, like it it had like basically gray material there, not mm-hmm. silver. So now it's the same silver shimmer. Um, you see an additional stripe that's in the, um, the the crust now that has an additional silver stripe that we brought in after uh, about uh, two years ago now. Mm-hmm. So it's just we're just consist- consistently like tweaking and enhancing to give the jerseys their proper feel and look and pop um and i think the other cool really cool thing is the prime green story with with adidas that you know these jerseys are now all manufactured with recycled materials that's another cool aspect to the the jersey so all three jerseys this year uh, are made with that prime green story from adidas and adidas has been an outstanding partner for us to design with um we'll be ex- extremely excited about the reverse retro next year and i'm not going to tease any of that right now <laughs> all right cheese you know i'm gonna let you run but you know that every time you stop by i give you a suggestion too so here's my suggestion you know that all, right, all right the king's logo that is at center ice right you know it's gone through a couple changes over the last couple of years but now yep. that you've added the silver on the on the uh, on the crest on the jersey how do you replicate the silver on the ice so here's my idea you embed lights underneath the ice and so at the beginning when they come out the lights kind of come down and boom the lights they pop under that silver outline. That's where you get the silver, you know, to shimmer. So there you go. I like I like that idea. That we actually have a an, a, a new in in ice uh, advertising option that we're going to put into Berlin in a couple, probably next year. That actually has lights underneath the ice that projects the uh, the advertisements underneath. So maybe we can. Maybe we can play with that a little bit. I don't know if you can project silver, though. It's another difficult color to project. Well, that light. You know, you, you have to work with it. You know, yeah, just, yeah. there like you it. go. All right. We're still waiting for the kings of the podcast or Mayor's Manor patch on the uh, practice jerseys. So <laughs> we'll we'll leave you with that and let you work on that. You know, it's just one game. That's all we need. Just one. Well, 
We'll talk about the price. It's not a problem. We have open open checkbook here. We have huge sponsors at Kings of the Podcast. Jeez, you have other meetings. Go do that. We'll see you on Thursday night at the Stapler. And uh, can't wait to get going again. Have a full building here in Los Angeles. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Can't wait to see you guys. All right. We'll be back after the break. Talk more LA Kings hockey after this. To the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. All right, welcome back, third period. And Dennis, we have a lot of roster stuff to get to, but before we do, we're going to need to sort of parse out what Cheeseman just said there. I think what he basically said is, uh, John, you have the third jersey, or excuse me, the next reverse retro jersey nailed for next year, but I'm not going to comment on it. That's what I, that's what I heard, Dennis. I don't know what you heard, but that's that's what I heard. That's, that's, <laughs> yes. You can extrapolate from there, John, and get to that end. Correct. <laughs> I, I actually, you know, one thing I appreciated about Cheese in that interview was when he, he was like, "Look, man, you're not getting anything out of me." Like he already knew, he, he knew I had a couple in the holster. He knew I hadn't yeah. emptied the chamber yet, so he was, he was, he was, he did a preemptive strike. So uh, sure. good, good on him. Yeah, Cheese is a great guy. Been with the LA Kings organization for a long time, and. uh He's the man, dude. You have to go to him. You have to get the information. But yeah. uh, prying information out of him is, is never never easy. So thanks to him for finding some time, though. Busy week for him, right? Busy oh, week uh, all around. I mean, he has his hands in so many different fires and uh, what's going on with AEG Sports. And he not only is responsible and, and is involved in what happens in Los Angeles, which is where most people sort of, you know, associate him but he also has his hands in what's going on over in europe with the uh with the german team there as well and a couple of other things so uh you have the soccer teams uh with the galaxy and whatnot i mean he's involved in all sorts of different things that's what an operating officer does john that that's that's the coo <laughs> the guy on the ground right as opposed to the ceo who's you know maybe big picture guy but kelly's you know got to dig in on all the different facets of the ag sports you're right is that what the title means is that what is that how that works the operating that's how officer? i serve. Okay. Okay. Good. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Um, look, we're going to have to skip the horse racing update DB, uh, because a couple of our horses did run, I think over the weekend, but we don't have time to talk about that. We need to talk about the roster. GM Rob Blake was hard at work, probably missed out on watching some uh, morning football on Sunday because he ended up having to put a couple players on waivers. So much talk during training camp, this long extended training camp, so much talk about which players were going to end up on waivers. And I have to say, Dennis, it was a bit of a swerve. If, if you would have asked me 24 hours before to rank who's going on waivers between Blake Lazat, Carl Grundstrom, Austin Wagner, and you would have had me give odds, I, I, there's just no way that I would have put Austin Wagner at the top of the list. Or, you know, I mean, he was, he was a long shot, if anything. It was a real swerve uh, to see Austin Wagner on waivers. Yeah. Well, what do you think happened, John? Do you think they called around the league? Maybe there were no takers, so they felt more comfortable – Waving them at this point? I don't know. I, I, you know, it's a great question. Uh, I was kind of tied up this weekend, to be honest with you, so I didn't have a chance to check in with my normal sources and sort of get figure out what happened. My best guess, though, 
is that when you just look at Carl Grundstrom, he does bring sort of a different element. Like, like we talk about like Lemieux and why he made the roster mm-hmm. because he does sure. something that's different than everybody else. Grundstrom does have a physical element to him. Now, he doesn't play a physical style consistently. That's why I've always said he's like Dustin Brown light. He's never been Dustin Brown. He's never been the guy that every game, every shift is out there doing it. But when he's engaged, and Grundstrom was more engaged at times last year than he had been previously and really seemed last season, we talked about this on the show, to have sort of earned the respect of of Coach Todd McClellan. Maybe we'll ask Todd about that when he comes on later this week. Uh, oops, spoiler alert, but he'll be on. We'll ask him about that. But I I just, when I think of Grundstrom, in hindsight, I go, oh, well, it does make sense, right? Because Lazat is that center, and with the byfield injury sure. and with, you know, them making the decision to keep Anderson Dolan in the American League to start the season, which we can talk about too, Lazat ends up staying because he's that right. center. He's a hustler. He can PK. He can do some things. Um, although Trevor Moore does give them options at center, but you look at that, you go, Grunstrom has a defined skill set or a defined skill uh, mm-hmm. that he brings that Austin Wagner, you're just going, okay, well, you're going to replace Wagner with Kaliev. You're just going to replace right. a goal scoring winger with a goal scoring yeah. winger, which is odd to say because you normally would never put those two names, Wagner and Kaliev, in the same sentence. So that's my long winded answer to you, Dennis. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's the truth. It's just that's how I've sort of rationalized it in uh, in my in my head. Yeah, and the other one with Strand, you know, for a team that doesn't have a lot of size to wage now, he, he went through waivers today, so that's fine. But again, a team that didn't have size waged one of their more, you know, sizable defensemen. To me, that was a little bit of a surprise as well. Like it was to you, I'm sure. It was a surprise, Dennis, and and here's why. Again, if you would have asked me 24 hours prior, when when we had sort of learned that Mata was going to be uh, headed to the IR um, once he didn't play on Saturday, that's the direction that it looked like. And you go, okay, they're going to have to keep one of the defensemen. Is it going to be Wolanin or is it going to be Strand? I would have thought Strand as well for a couple of reasons. Number one, they they've invested so much time, energy, and effort into him over the last couple of seasons in terms of developing him. And it wasn't like, hey, let's just do it because we've been developing him. No, he, they've not only developed him, but he has succeeded in that development. Mm-hmm. You know, to a certain extent, they they liked what they saw that out of him last year and opened some eyes around the league as well and said, oh, maybe we have a serviceable defenseman here as an option. They liked him enough to have him be in the final consideration for the final cuts for that seventh defenseman. And like you said, the size. So I look at that and I just go, hey, as impressed as they were with Wolanin, which they were, they, were, they right? didn't really know much about him when they got him, mm-hmm. right? But they got him. They were they were impressed in the couple games. Then he went to the World Championships, really earned a contract extension at the World Championships. But then now, I mean, it it puts an exclamation point on it when I say they like him. He's the guy that they're keeping over Austin Strand. It was a little bit of a surprise, but good on him. Good on Wolanin for really, you know, coming here as a lost soul and, and finding mm-hmm. a, a spot. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think the World Championships was the clincher because there's so much good vibes coming out of that performance that they had over. So along with Moore, who was a star over there. But, yeah, I think that that's what earned him his spot here, and they just built off it in camp. It's funny that you mentioned more too, because uh, in talking with one of the the, the people in Kings management uh, during training camp, I was saying, you know, wow, you know, this fourth line center role, there's just you know a lot of options there. Double A can play center, and uh, you know, yeah, Byfield who can play center, Kapari could play center, even though they want to move him over to the wing. Just a lot of different options beyond Lazat and things like that. And then I said, hey, Trevor Moore can even move over to play center, and uh, <laughs> the management person was like, 
I didn't even know that he could play center until I saw him there at the World Championships. And it's true because it's like it's the it's it's the comment that so many people have made. They just didn't know that he could play center, and all of a sudden he's not only playing center, Dennis. He was the top line center for a couple of those games for the, for uh, Team USA, which is wild. Yeah, John, I don't think he played center at all last year, and he was just solely on the wing here in LA last year, right? Yes. Okay, yeah, I thought so. Yes. Yeah, no, that's that's why it was like it was a surprise. Uh, but that's that's good because now it gives you another option there. Sure. Um, and I think the other night on Saturday, I think they went with Lemieux uh, on the left side, Kaliev on the right side, and then they had uh, they had more at center. And we'll have to see if that continues heading into opening night on Thursday night. Also, now with the Leas Anderson injury, uh, if that drags on through the week, I would re- originally I had been sort of given the indication that he'll be ready to go by Thursday, but he wasn't at practice today, which is Monday. If that drags on uh, throughout the week. They've been testing Kaliev and uh, over on the third line with Velarde, and that's kind of interesting because you think of the magic that existed between Ferk and Velarde to put Kaliev as the new Ferk uh, over there with Velarde. That could be some some really special magic to see those two kids playing together. Oh yeah, well he he's good. Gabe's going to get a shooter, and good for Gabe. Gabe shooting the puck. I mean that second goal he scored on Saturday night was a laser, absolutely laser, and that's mm-hmm. what I've been waiting for. I don't know about you, but I've been waiting for that. I mean that was just. A great shot. So hopefully, look, you need offense on the third line, John. If you're going to make, if you want to get a sniff of the playoffs, and those two kids, they have offense in their stick. So we'll see. Yeah, Gabe Velarde, uh, from a talent perspective, is the most talented player in the Kings prospect pool. So to see him finally put it all together is is quite phenomenal. And, and you just think back to what he did in the OHL and how he was able to wreak havoc on teams. If, if he can get that sort of thing going again, that'll be phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Let's go from uh, the top of the lineup on through, DB. So top line, you've uh, waited on this before, I believe. Ardvitsen, Brown, and Kopitar. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that you would possibly like to see Ayafalo more in that mix. Is that right? Um, I thought you said that a couple episodes ago. Well, what I'd like to see is some of Victor's shots hit the back of the net, which didn't happen in the in the preseason. Mm-hmm. But you know, you write that off. He's getting you're giving him three to four games to get acclimated to playing with Brown and Kopitar. So unless Victor doesn't score, and I suspect because he's going to sh- probably shoot five times in the first minute of the game when he's out there with the first line, he's going to get mm-hmm. some goals. So I think that's an option for I follow if Victor doesn't produce. right? But I suspect that it's going to be mm-hmm. a bounce-back season. You, the guy sounds like he's got a chip on his shoulder from the way it ended in Nashville. So unless Victor doesn't produce in that role, like I, I would keep him up on the top line. And it certainly sounded like uh, early in training camp that that was McClellan's plan, was to try to keep the line together, allow them to develop some chemistry. And the thing is, they didn't play together very much during training camp because the vets really didn't play uh, that often. So it, it did give McClellan a chance to look at all of you know his other options. Um, but from the vet perspective, they, they didn't play a lot of games. Second line right now lining up as uh, Kachev uh, with Deneau and then Kempe as the other winger. Uh, how do you feel about that line at this moment? I got to see it in the regular season, John. It's like it's – I get the components of it. It's like it's not a checking line, even though Phil's a great defensive player. Kachev's the wild card. I, I don't know. I'm like, I, is he talented enough to play the top six? Absolutely. But, again, this is a situation, John, where like last season, like you don't know about the second line. I assume – look, I assume Phil's going to score more than five goals in 56 games. So let's make that assumption. I assume Kempe's going to build off a season. So I think the chemistry there, and you got a dangerous player who's a facilitator more than a shooter in Kachev, it's got the makings, right? But I've got to see them in, in action and see how they match up against the opposition. 
And I made a mistake there, DB. I believe it's Ayafalo on that line. Kempe's down on the third line. So it's okay. Kachev with Ayafalo and, uh, and, and Deneau. Uh, so K- Kempe on the third line. Is that right? Kempe with, with Velarde? Velarde and Kaliev. And now, and now Kaliev, yes, in place of Leah Sanderson. Yeah. Yes. Well, the thing about that, the second line is that you have two wingers playing their off wings, which is going mm-hmm. to be interesting as well. So um, we'll wait and see. I mean, it's look. Is it a better lineup than last season? Yeah, like in the middle six. That's the key. And if they're going to be doing any any damage and close to a postseason bid, their middle six has to produce. And their their six players in the middle six are better, right? I mean, look, who's the second line? Who's the third line center last year to start the season? Blake Lazat. And no disrespect to Blake, but he's a fourth line player. So I think that the talent is there. Will it gel together and produce? Let's see. And uh, DB, just uh, how about this? I'm going to double down on my mistake. Uh, this goes to show you okay. what a travel day will do to me. I should have, I should have written this down in, in pen instead of in crayon on the airplane while uh, hoofing down some peanuts. Uh, although no, that's not peanuts. They can't do that anymore. Now they have to that. give you mini mini pretzels. But anyway, uh, the second line is Kempe Dino and I have follow. I knew I had it wrong. So it's, the second line is Kempe Dino and I have follow. Kachev right now they're leaving him with Velarde because they liked the chemistry of the mm-hmm. Kachev Velarde Anderson line. So uh, you could see the flipping of of Ayafalo onto the top line like we right. talked about. You could also see the flipping of Kempe and Kachev there between the second and third line. So there's a lot of moving parts within the top nine. But as of now, probably Kempe, Dino, and Ayafalo. That line to me feels a little more normal. Um, but man, that third line, uh, the one of Kachev, Velarde, and Anderson created a lot of magic in the preseason. And uh, now if, if, if Kaliev has to step in there, you wonder if Kachev and Kaliev and Velarde um, can, you know, pick up right where the other, the other threesome left off. Yeah. And it's interesting. Like where does Athanasiu fit in all this? Right, I mean, well, I was going to, I was going to get yeah. to that when we got to the fourth line, okay. you, you see him as a third line player. Well, he's got a third line paycheck. So Mm-hmm. I, 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 I guess if Kachev doesn't produce, that would be mm-hmm. the guy more likely to replace him would be Athanasiu. But I think, you know, it's like with with Ferk last season. If Athanasiu can't get on the ice, he's not going to play. That's one of Todd's rules. So I think he would. I think when you bring him back, he would certainly bring him back on the fourth line because you're trying to get chemistry on the top nine. So I think that mm-hmm. you're right with respect to what you're going to assert probably on the, as a fourth line for Athanasiu. And that's not a bad thing either, to be frank. Well, I don't know if it would be Kachev, though, because it could be Kaliev. Because if they don't want to commit long-term, or I'll say mid-term, I wouldn't even really call it long-term, but if they don't want to commit to mid-term of Velarde uh, having Kaliev on his wing, Kaliev could go back to the fourth line, which is where they had sort of planned on using him, right? Prior to the Anderson injury, it was Lemieux, Moore, and Kaliev on the fourth line. And then if Artie was able to earn more playing time, maybe you you find a way to get him onto the third line. But with the Anderson injury, Kaliev has moved up. So you figure if coming off of IR, where would Athanasiu fit into all of this? Right now, he would fit in on the fourth line. It'd be Lemieux, Moore, and Athanasiu most likely. But if it's the nights that you don't need Lemieux, um, then it would, you know, you could plug any number of different people in there. You could move more back to the left side. You could let Lazat play center and still keep Athanasiu there. You can also play double A at center, though. Let's not forget that. It has been pointed out to me a number of different times about his ability to play center. So you could have more on the left side, double A at center. And again, if Anderson was back, you could still play Kaliev over on the right side there. So a lot of different options, not only on the third line, but also uh, down on the fourth line, which is, I think, exciting if you're Coach McClellan. And again, DB, we'll, we'll have to ask him when he comes on. These are legitimate options now. It's, it's not 
it's not just guaranteed which guy might be a healthy right. scratch on any particular night. Right. I, I think going to like Lemieux, like his style, looks like I would play him against Vegas, but I'd probably sit him against Minnesota. Right? Two entirely different style teams. See, people say that, and then here would be my here would be my sort of retort to that. Please, why do you need to play him against Vegas? He's not a heavyweight, so he's not going to take on Ryan Reeves, right? You do need some sort of a protection element in there, perhaps. I guess if they were playing Reeves, right? But if if you wanted to go with the speed of Vegas and you wanted to try to counter that, I'm not sure Lemieux would be the guy to put into the lineup. So you might try to go a completely different direction. Maybe go with a different game plan systematically, stylistically, than what you've used over the last couple of years. Maybe the problem is that Vegas is both big and fast, John. So that, that very, very well could be. It's interesting, too, because uh, speaking of things that I was doing on the plane and, and, you know, trying to pass the time, I was thinking about the Kings' first five games or so, Dennis, and I was like, where exactly would Lemieux get into the lineup? Like, mm-hmm. I think after Vegas, then they go up against uh, Minnesota, Nashville, Dallas, right. and St. Louis. It's like a, a trip through the central, if you will. So do you need him against Minnesota? Do you need him against Nashville? Do you need him against Dallas? And then I think it's two against St. Louis. Yeah, I, I think that, like, St. Louis probably, right, because they're a physical team. Um, and Nashville, probably not. They're a skating team. So I think that th- th- he would probably draw in probably one of the St. Louis games, if not two, depending on the, how the first one went. Okay, so that's all about the uh, the forwards there, Dennis. Let's move out to the blue line here. Um, things are fairly static. They are pretty much what was expected coming into camp. You have Anderson, uh, Mikey Anderson, playing on the top line, or top pairing, excuse me, with Drew Doughty. Second pairing of Bjornfoot with Roy, who was a very uh, a steady line, steady pairing. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I keep saying line today, DB. Uh, and then on the third pair, Edler now uh, signed as an unrestricted free agent, playing there with Sean Walker. I have some thoughts on the third pair, but first, uh, any thoughts on the, the, the first two pairs? Do you like those guys staying together? Yeah, I do. I think there's chemistry there, and I, I think that they complement uh, both uh, pairs that have complementary players, so... It's, and they're clearly your best four defensemen on the team. So I think that there's, there's no problem going into opening night uh, with the way that rotation is. Now, see, here's where things get tricky. On the third pair, there another reason, I didn't ever finish my thought earlier, but another reason why I thought that Austin Strand might be the guy that they would keep on a short-term basis as the seventh defenseman with Mata being out was being on the right side. Here's your option. If Sean Walker can regain his offensive form because we all know that last year was a tough year for him with the injury and whatnot. Right. But if Sean mm-hmm. Walker can regain some of his, his offensive form, what do you do with him? If you wanted to inject something else into that D group, who's going to come out of the lineup? Well, if you figure that Edler might be the guy that you're going to rest for one night, he's a left shot guy. Right. And if you wanted yeah. to, it's a very easy to replace, put Wolanin in, right? I, I get mm-hmm. that. But if you wanted to get a little size going and you like your offense, I just think it gives you more options. You could slide Walker over on the third pair, have him play the left, and then you could put Strand in on the right. You also could move Walker up even to the second pair if you wanted to, you know, mix really mix things up. You could have him play alongside Matt Roy, who he's played with before. You could either slide Bjornfoot down, into the uh, lefty on the third side, still have Strand in the lineup, but see, mm-hmm. you just don't you don't have those options now with Will Lannan. The only yeah. thing you really would do would be able to have him go into the lineup in place of Edler. That was just sort of my thought process. Right, right. I agree, I agree. But 
at left base, they like long, long landing better than they like Strand. So it's as simple as that. But I agree. I think you give it, you get a different type of player with Strand, but that option right now isn't the case. Well, in fairness, I wouldn't go so far as to say they like Wolan and better than they like Strand because sometimes these decisions are somewhat situational. And so I mm-hmm. think that they felt that with Mata being a left shot D, being on IR for the first week of the season or so, you know, Wolanin is the more complimentary uh, sort mm-hmm. of replacement player. Yeah, that's an option as well. All right, goaltending-wise, Cal Peterson, Jonathan Quick, what's your take on it? I keep saying it's going to be, you know, probably 60% of the starts will go to Cal Peterson. How long of a leash would you give Cal Peterson right now? And would you go 50-50 to start the year, Dennis? I I wouldn't go 50-50 to start the year because, I I, I mean, Todd said it, I think, early in the training camp is that this is the year for Cal Mertz. He's He's going to be a $5 million player next year. So, you know... Let's start earning it now. So I, I think if I – I agree with you. I think it's 60-40. How long of a leash? He signed for three years, John. I don't think there's a leash for Cal Peterson. I, I think you're going to throw him in there, and you're gonna, you want him to be the guy, and you want Jay to be the – I don't know if – I don't think it's one and one a I think it's one and one b at this point. So I think that's where we are with respect to goaltending. If Jonathan Quick plays more than 30 games, then it means that Cal hasn't you know performed to, I think, the expectations of the team. All right, so look at the schedule then, just for a brief moment here. Mm-hmm. Play along with me. Yeah. Thursday, Saturday, Tuesday, Friday, Saturday. So you, there could be a situation where the first three games would all go to Cal Peterson, Thursday, mm-hmm. Saturday, Tuesday, and then on the back-to-backs where you'd play Friday, Saturday, mm-hmm. uh, and then the next game isn't until Monday, so you're playing three and four days on that particular weekend. But you could see Quick as the backup. Game one, game two, game three, and then on Friday, the first of the two back-to-backs, you could potentially see Jonathan Quick. I don't know. Uh, seeing seeing Quick on the sideline for three straight games like that to start the season, Dennis, you might be able to visibly see his skin crawling. Yes, you would. I agree with you, John, but I think the time's come. I think that – Yeah. I mean, I didn't say anything in camp that says, okay, this should be a, a 50-50 split in the net. I don't know what Todd's thinking, but I think at this point, like, again, when you make the commitment that you did – to the goalie, where it's five million per for the next three, like you expect that guy to stay out. And regardless of what John Quick cap hit is and his money, what regardless, like that's what you've you've just now validated. Cal is your guy, so again, mm-hmm. you should get the lion's share of it. But if he falters, could John drop back in? But I, I think that, I mean, Jonathan Quick's a really smart guy, right? Even though he doesn't talk to the media much, but he's got to see this coming. I mean, he, he's got to think that okay, I'm going to be playing thirty, thirty-five, maybe. I'm not going to be sharing the net. Um, I, I got to think that's what's in his, in his head right now. Yeah. And the following weekend, there's there are a few games during the week, uh, that week, Monday and, and Thursday. But the following weekend, which is October 30th and 31st, the Kings do have back-to-back games, the very rare back-to-back games at home. Right. Right. So outside of the pandemic year of 2021, I think it only happened twice in the previous 20-year history of Staples Center where they played back-to-back games at home. I think once was against St. Louis and once was against Arizona. Really useless trivia there, but uh, <laughs> and could be wrong. Uh, but uh, the weekend, uh, Halloween weekend, so Saturday, October 30th, they play Montreal yeah. or Montreal. And then on Sunday, October 31st, uh, those are both day games. They'll be playing Buffalo. So you have to figure that Quick and Peterson would most likely split those starts as well. Uh, and then uh, the following weekend, 
Same thing, but uh, in Toronto and Montreal, that Monday and Tuesday of the following week, so what, like eight or nine days later, yeah. um, they play back-to-back Monday, Thank Tuesday you. in Toronto, in Montreal, and then a couple days later in Ottawa. And Dennis, I think, if I remember correctly, I'm not your travel agent, but I do listen when you talk. I think you plan on going to uh, to that trip. Are you just in Montreal, or what are you doing? No, we're going to – we have to rearrange everything because there's a oh. Rams game. So, yeah, we're, no, we're gonna, actually going to fly Monday morning and get to Toronto like at 3 o'clock and go basically straight to the arena, do that game, go to Montreal, uh, stay, do the game in Montreal Tuesday, stay in Montreal Wednesday. I am not going to Ottawa. I'm not going to Canada. (laughs) I'm not not driving 20 miles outside of the city to see that. So we'll return to L.A. on on Thursday. So, But looking forward to that trip. And who knows, John, for the October 31st game, maybe Jonathan Quick will come dressed as a starting goaltender. You never know. Okay, how long have you been holding on to that one? <laughs> I feel I feel a tweet or two in that vein coming from you uh, pretty soon here. I think when you brought up the back-to-back games and one was Halloween, I started thinking too much. So I wasn't holding on okay. too long. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, and, of course, L.A. Kings fans also want to know, who are the first guys to get called up? And uh, I, I just I have to remind everybody, Dennis, the word I just used a moment ago, which is situational. It's, yeah. it's situational. It, it's it's too easy to say, you know, that Turcotte is the number one C and that he's the first guy to get called up. Now, you know, not necessarily. Now, Turcotte, yes, he can play wing and things like that. But mm-hmm. you sometimes have to look for that whole skill type of thing, uh, a defined skill or something that they're a skill they're trying to replace if something's been missing from the lineup. But you do have to think, just sort of speaking more generally, uh, not really about a specific hole in the lineup they're trying to fill, you do have to think that Kapari is going to see games sooner rather than later because they are very intrigued at the idea of playing him on the wing. And uh, so I think you're going to see him on the wing more in Ontario to start the season. And then they're going to want to get a look at that at the NHL level. So I would think that Kapari is in line there. And uh, Sammy Fagamo at some point, he might mm-hmm. be another option for them as well. I, I just think that Turcotte is going to spend the bulk of the year in the American League playing center, playing big minutes, and yeah. furthering his development. People are in a real rush to get him to the to the NHL. But, DB, let's remember, we talk all the time about Byfield and how young he is. Mm-hmm. People really need to really think about the development path for a guy like Alex Turcotte. He went to college, which plays a short season to begin with. They don't play the longer season like the Canadian Junior Leagues. He played one year at Wisconsin and was hurt for part of the year and then played a shortened pandemic AHL season for his second year as a pro, right? So he hasn't played a lot of hockey over the last two years and nowhere near the amount of hockey that some of these other guys have played. So it's going to be very important for young Alex Turcott to get in a lot of games, play a lot of minutes in a lot of situations and really further his development. I think this year, now maybe we could talk again in the second half of the season, but um, sitting here today, I'd be rather surprised if he's called up before Christmas for some reason. I agree with you, but here's the big question for you, mayor six to eight weeks from now, what Uh happens with, what happens with Byfield? Does he come back to the roster here? Does he go down? What, What do you think happens? You know, I'm just going to continue to lean into the idea of him being in the American League this year, DB, and and there's a couple of different reasons. Um, First of all, you have the whole thing about from a contract standpoint, there is a financial advantage to having the contract slide again this year, which he is eligible for another slide if he plays less than 10 games in the NHL. So there's that option. They were probably willing to forego that 
if he was going to be available from the hop right from the very beginning, right? But if sure. if this is a four-week situation, I think it's a little bit different. If it ends up being on the longer side and it's eight weeks, and again, I haven't talked to anybody about this, so I don't have any inside information here. We can ask Todd McClellan about it. We'll see how you know much he wants to 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 give us. We hope to have Rob Blake on the program soon. We'll see how much he wants to give us on the record as well. Uh, but I just think that, look, he, after being out that long, I think it's really hard to inject him right in, back into the NHL lineup that he was trying to crack from the very beginning. And, yes, he was going to be on the opening night roster. That has been confirmed. Um, but a lot's going to change over, you know, six to eight weeks, DB. And, I, first yeah. of all, just conditioning and getting him back going again. And so now you're not just talking about six to eight weeks because of the injury. You're talking about potentially another couple of weeks just to, to, to rehab and stuff. So even if he's healed in four weeks, you know, now I guess maybe you're back in that six to eight week window. So I just think there's too many questions. There are too many questions right now. Um, and if the Kings are buzzing, that's another whole thing too, right? If they've sort of figured out a, a, a fourth line combo that they like, maybe Trevor Moore locks down mm-hmm. the, the four C role and maybe they sure. just, you know, they like that then I think at that point you you have to send him to the American League. So I still do believe I'll go with my original assumption coming into the season. Byfield's going to spend the majority of the first half of the season in the American League, and if he dominates and he does what he needs to do, then there's an opportunity for him in the second half of the season, especially coming into the trade deadline. Um, I don't need to name names right now. People know if they're paying attention. There are several bubble players in the Kings bottom uh, you know, bottom nine, if you will, or, 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 you know, from the fourth line on the bottom, what is that? Five or six players. There are some bubble players there that they're going to have to cut bait with at some point and clear room for not only Byfield, but Kapari and some of these other kids sure. coming up. And I think they'll do that for Quentin because he really showed well during training camp DB. He, he was, he was the best of that bubble group. If you want to call it that. Yeah. It's a damn shame. It's really, I mean, every injury is unfortunate, but you know, what did he tell me the first day of camp? I'm prepared to play in the NHL, and he went out and proved it. Yeah, he he belongs, John. But it's now you're right. It's a question of timing. It's a question of where the team is. So you know, it's like everything else. Maybe, maybe he's on the team. It depends on what happens. But uh, I, but again, Phil Deneau's presence, and hopefully Villardi's got a bounce back season. So what's the pressure? Where's the pressure to to have him here? Like, yeah, you in a perfect world, ten minutes to learn everything and practice against. Kopitar to know every day? Sure. Is that a possibility? I guess. But is it just as likely that he can go down and get big minutes? And you mentioned, and, and it's a great point you bring up, John, it's just not the injury. It's the conditioning. It's getting mm-hmm. back in hockey shape. So that it, you're extending it. even, And it's the worst case scenario where it's eight weeks and you're talking about 10 weeks. So what's the point, John? Like, so after 10 weeks off the ice, you want him in the NHL right away playing games or healthy scratch. So, yeah, I, I, would, I think this injury now – pushes it to your scenario where he's going to be in the A. Yeah, it's that momentum thing, DB, where, like, yeah. if you're a veteran player, and and I think Todd's even made this comment in the past, that, you know, you don't lose your spot in the lineup due to injury. Well, this is a little bit different because this is a player who's trying to earn his spot, and even though he was on the, the final roster or would have been on the final roster uh, for opening night, this is a player who was trying to earn that spot, and now he's yeah. going to lose all of that momentum right. from the summer training, from the development camp, from the training camp, rookie camp into training camp. There's just there, there was It was a snowball that had been building sure. momentum, yep. and it all just sort of stops, Stop. and now you have to restart and get that momentum going again. And I think I, I really do believe once you get the momentum going again at some point that you will see him in the National Hockey League this season. Uh, but at, to your point, just what, what's the point? There's no you're, there's no pressure to do that uh, because 
they've made enough moves and they've solidified things that they think they're going to be in a pretty good position. Agreed. All right, one last thing here before we wrap up today's program. DB, I just wanted to get your hot take, if you have one, because I certainly do. Uh, down the road in Anaheim, the Ducks roster, they're going to field a much younger roster. You're going to get a healthy dose of Zegris and Lundstrom and Jones, etc. But the guy that's most intriguing for me, uh, at the time that we are taping this, they have not yet sent Mason McTavish, real Mayor's Manor guy, DB. They have not oh, yeah. sent McTavish. Uh, back to the Ontario Hockey League just yet. So it looks like he's going to get some NHL uh, action. He's going to at least have the opportunity to play NHL games. That's pretty exciting. Uh, it's also pretty scary when you think about these young 18-year-old kids making it, you know, breaking into the National Hockey League. But uh, what do you think about what's going on down there in Anaheim? Any any thoughts at all to, to what they're trying to do? Mm, God bless Duck fans. It's going to be a very mm -hmm. long season. So, yeah, no, I, I'd give the kid a run. Like, this team is going to struggle all season to score. So if they can get some offense out of them the first nine games and keep them up, then keep them up. Get them, give them a little taste. I've got no problem if he does stay on the roster and playing some games because this team is is devoid of scoring talent, to be totally frank, John. Yeah. The, um, well, they do have Zegers, who's a pretty uh, offensive, dynamic uh, you know, type player. And they have, we talked about this at length before, they have a lot of other young, offensive-minded players that have regressed over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. So the Ducks are hoping that with some changes in the coaching staff and with some changes in their approach, that they're going to be a more competitive team this year. But they definitely, uh, th they're in that transition period. They are behind the curve relative to where the LA Kings are. Um, they, the Ducks are not expected to challenge for a playoff spot this year. So it there could potentially be an opportunity where, um, you know, a guy like Mason McTavish does end up staying and playing in the National Hockey League, which would be great. So very curious to see their season opens up on Wednesday. The Ducks season opens up on Thursday. And I guess one other update to pass along. I tweeted this the other day, but for anybody who missed it, Brant Clark a name that was forgotten about throughout King's training camp because he was not available due to mono. He has been uh, back on the ice skating, according to reports that I've received, and he's expected to uh, to debut, in, or not debut, but his season debut in the Ontario Hockey League for the Barry Colts will come next week, from what I understand. So that's good news on uh, Brant Clark. He is expected to sort of dominate at the OHL level. DB is kind sure. of a big thing. And then, and then play for Team Canada <laughs> at the upcoming World Junior Championships, which will be taking place in Edmonton starting the day after Christmas. Yeah, I love that kid. Looking forward to him getting on the ice and playing the EO. Okay, so Dennis, you're going to watch every Team Canada game at the World Juniors uh, this year then. Is that what you're committing to? No. <laughs> okay. We'll have to bring that back up. You, John. Like, come on. <laughs> hey, man, I'll be there. My flight leaves the day after Christmas on the 26th. On the 26th, I'm, I have my armrest already reserved. I'm good to go, and uh, I'll be headed up to, uh, can you, to Edmonton. You know, can you FaceTime me and then just hold the camera? <laughs> phone I'm off? busy, man. Oh, that's, okay. that's, that's my scouting trip. That's my, that's my big, <laughs> fun you, scouting trip. You know, I'll, be, you. I'll be locked in. I mean, that's like, if you were to ask me which weekend is better, like punk rock bowling or the World Junior Championships, I wouldn't even know which to take. Like, wow. those are my... Those are my those are my big weekends. I mean, and then this past weekend was pretty phenomenal as well. When you get Metallica twice in three oh, nights, uh, so yeah, that was a tough weekend. TB, I need to go rest. I'm tired. Uh, so I will talk to you later. It was a fantastic podcast. Thanks to Kelly Cheeseman for coming on and talking with us as well. Thanks to the listeners for uh, hearing our opinions on the jersey and the roster. And Dennis, safe travels back and forth to Vegas. Uh, we'll do this again later this week, hopefully with Coach Todd McClellan. I can't wait for Thursday night, John. Thursday night, Staples Center. Be there, everybody. Opening night for 21-22 season. We'll see you then.